welcome here. Merry Christmas. Oh, man. Only 212 days, folks. Oh, man. I guess the farmers need it, so we won't complain. And a welcome to you who are watching at home. We're just looking forward to when you are able and comfortable to be with us in person. And I know there's some faces I'm seeing here that I haven't seen in a long time. Monica, and you've even got the footrest up. Look at you, making yourself comfortable. Feel free. Feel free. That's wonderful. Um, So if this is your first time back in a while, so glad you're here. She paid extra to get that chair. If you're wondering how she got that, she paid extra. And... uh, Dawson Huging, baby Dawson, a few weeks old, is with us for the very first time in church. So congratulations to Kelsey and Curtis, the rocking little baby there at the back. They actually said to me when they came in this morning, they said he's been screaming since 6.30 and they didn't know how to put him to sleep. So they, they brought him to church and they thought that <laughs> they thought the sermon might do the trick. I said, That's a, hey, I understand why you would have thought that, so you're welcome but just good to have them here. I was chatting with Curtis this week about some of the, the fun things that come with being a dad, being a parent, the challenges they're navigating. Life changes. Um, I wonder how you're doing. How are you doing? You know, we gather here and um, we sing timeless words of worship. We, we listen to timeless truths from God's word, but we're not timeless people. Right? Like, we are living in a moment in time. Uh, you're facing something real. Like, whatever challenge you're facing, it's, it's, not a hy- it's not a hypothetical, theoretical challenge. You're facing a real challenge. Uh, you're facing something specific, not just something general. A pressure, and um, God knows what that is. I was reminded uh, this week of just kind of all the pressures we're facing in staff meeting. Wednesday morning, the staff gathers. We normally begin by sharing some of what's going on in our lives, and I was just I was kind of overwhelmed by all the struggles that we as staff members are facing right now. I don't know if you heard this, but Angela Wolf, our children's ministry director, her barn burned down Monday morning. All the animals perished. So maybe you've been on the receiving end of eggs from her, and they used that as a ministry to bless people. It's just gone. So the Wolf family's going through something hard. Darren was just sh- sharing his parents in Regina, going some, through some serious medical health issues there, the border and all the rules make it next impossible to be there to support them in a way he otherwise would have. James is getting married on Saturday. That's hard. (laughs) No, where is he? Where is he? Is he skipping out on church? He doesn't know, are there going to be new restrictions tomorrow and they're going to have to change how many, they're going to have to call people and say, hey, you were invited, but you can't come to the service now. Like, so that's in their mind. Man, the Hildebrand family, we can't see either of our families. Alberta, my wife's family, lives 15 miles across the border in Minnesota. 15 miles. Might be a year. Right? Sister moves to Hawaii in a few months. Doesn't know if she'll see her. So I, just what all the staff were going through, and then I was thinking, multiply that by the church. And then multiply that by the community. All the struggles and the pressures that people are facing. And so my hope this morning is that whatever you're going through in this moment in time, that, that something from God's timeless word would just really apply to your situation this morning. And, and I trust it will. So our story comes from a book of the Bible we don't go to very often. You might not even know how to find it in your Bible. 
It's the book of Numbers. It's near the beginning. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. We're going to look at a story in chapter 13 and 14 of Numbers. And I just want to set that up as you're, as you're turning there. Because the story really begins 500 years earlier with a man named Abraham. And maybe you know how the story goes. Abraham and his wife, they're old. They have no kids. They'll never have kids. They live with this sadness of seeing everyone else with kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. And they don't have any of that. And some of you, you maybe know that sadness of childlessness. And so this is just something they lived with. And then God came into their life. And God delivered a promise to Abraham and said, I'm going to give you a child and I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And I'm going to bring you into a land, a good land that I'm going to give to you and your descendants. And not long after that, a child arrived, Isaac. And a nation grew. And I can't tell you the whole story, but they found themselves in Egypt for 400 years, the people of Israel, where they became slaves to Pharaoh and they had a miserable existence, except God remembered them and God delivered them from their slavery. He brought them out of Egypt. He brought them through the Red Sea, parted the waters, and led them through on dry ground, through the wilderness where God miraculously provided food every morning on the ground, manna, and brought water from a rock to provide for His people as He was leading them into the land He had promised to give to them, a good land. And now this is where the story begins. These people, the people of God are standing on the border of God's promise, the border of this land about to enter in. I don't know if you've ever stood on the border of something big. That's normally when fear hits. When this one next step is the big step. I remember when I was getting ready to propose to Erica. As soon as I made that decision, I had the date on the calendar, I had the plan, I started to get nervous. But boy, on the day, the day of, when it, was, it came, this is good, it's now. It's, now's the time to bow the knee. To bow the knee? That's not how marriage works, ladies. To bend the knee? I don't think it works that way either. Man, uh, you know, so when you're standing on the border of something, I don't know, that's when the pressure of fear arrives. You know fear, don't you? Maybe you're afraid of something today. You know, in this series that we're continuing called Under Pressure, we're looking at a variety of pe- pressures that we experience that aren't, that aren't unique to us, that, that people in the Bible experience pressures. And we're looking at stories where, where two people or two different groups of people res- were under the same pressure and responded in different ways uh, with different outcomes. And what we're finding in this series is that the direction of your life is not determined by the struggles you face, but it's by how you respond to those struggles. That's what determines the direction of your life. It's not what you face, it's how you face it. And we all face fear. We all face fear. And that's what we want to look at this morning, the pressure of fear. And what is fear? Fear essentially is just the feeling that the future may be too much for me. The future may be too much for me. It's this anticipation and expectation of a bad future. That's fear. And so in this story, we're going to see a people that faced fear. It's a story of 12 spies. 12 spies. 10 respond one way and 2 respond a very different way. It begins this way. and we're going to, It's too long to read the whole story, right? We're just going to skip through this. So here they are on the border of the land, the promised land. 
Chapter 13, verse 1, God says to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. And so they select 12 men, one from each tribe of Israel. In verse 17, Moses said to them, exploring Canaan, he said, Go, go up through the Negev and into the hill country and see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. And so they go. It says, when they reach the valley of Eshkol, verse 23, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes, and two of them carried it on a pole between them because the grapes were so big, the land was so good, it produced fruit so big, it had to be carried between two people on a pole. And along they carried some pomegranates and figs, and that place was called the Valley of Eshkol because that cluster of grapes they cut off there. And at the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land, and they gave Moses this account, verse 27, we went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But, we're going to come back to that word, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Now, Anak, that's actually a Hebrew word that means neck. We saw giants, is what that means. We saw a race of really large people. We encountered giants. Verse 30, then Caleb, one of the 12 spies, he silenced the people before Moses, and he said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with them said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. So in verse four, uh, chapter 14, 1, it says, That night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt. We should have never left. Or if we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taking us plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Here we have a group of people confronting the pressure of fear. Now, most of them didn't respond so well. They did not move forward in the leading of God. And God was not pleased, and if you go in the story, and, I, and I'm not going to read it there, chapter 14, but God is not pleased with them, and He punishes the people, and He essentially gives them what they said would happen. They said, we should just die in the wilderness, and that's what happened. God's punishment was they would not enter this good land that He had promised to His people. They would wander the unbelieving people for 40 years until the last of them had died off, that unbelieving generation, and 40 years later, their children would enter the good land that God had promised them, except for Caleb and Joshua, two of the 12 spies that had faith, that said, we can do it, let's move forward, God has said. You see, all 12 of these spies, they received the same promise, they saw the same land, the same giants, and yet they responded in two very different ways. Ten of them responded with fear, two of them responded with faith. Now, it's an interesting story, but what I want you to know is it's really a story about you. It's a story about us. And you know why I know that? It's because of the number 12. And maybe you already know that that when you see the number 12 in the Bible, you've got to sit up and take notice. 
right? A member of each of the 12 tribes of Israel, the people of God, were sent into this land. You know, it's no coincidence that when Jesus comes onto the scene, how many disciples does He pick? Twelve. Like, that's not an accident. It's not like He sent out like, a, like an email invitation to 13 people and the 13th guy went to his junk mail and he just didn't see it and he didn't respond. And so, all right, we'll go with 12. Like, that's not how it happened. Jesus chose 12. Why? Because this represents a way of saying this new group of people is the people of God's promise. The church are the covenant people of God's promise. That's us. We are the 12. So this is our story. And so in, in just a few minutes we have, I, I want to take out of this story three for me as I looked at this, three, I guess, key insights that I think can help us battle fear that comes to us as we follow God's leading in our life. Three key insights, and you'll see these up on the screen as well. The first is this. We need to focus on the size of our God and not the size of our giants. And by giants, I mean just anything that stands in the way, anything that strikes fear into your heart as you follow the command and the leading of God. We need to focus on the size of God and not the size of the giants. You know, the the language they use in this story is really interesting. It's really telling. When those 12 spies came back from scouting the land, it says in verse 27 of chapter 13, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. They didn't say, we went into the land that God promised us. No, it was, we went into the land to which you sent us. See, the land always, when it was qualified, the land was always referred to as the land which God swore to give to His people. Five times in this story, the land is described as the land that God swore to give to His people. But the spies, the ten spies, never call it that. They never once call it that. In fact, never once do they reference God at all. They speak only of the giants, only of the obstacles. They never mention God. And so their focus is so fixed on these challenges in their life that loom so large in their mind. They think nothing of God, except for the two, Caleb and Joshua. Chapter 14, verse 6, Joshua and Caleb, uh, who were among those who explored the land, they tore their clothes and they said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid, said Joshua and Caleb. Their protection is gone, these giants, Why? Because the Lord is with us. Their focus was fixed on the presence and the promise of God, not the size of the giants that stood in their way. Now look at the next word, though, in verse 10. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. (laughs) That word but is an interesting word. In fact, you see it come up over and over again, but. And it's a deadly word for a Christian. But is is a fear word. Right? Go back to verse 27 of chapter 13. The the spies gave Moses this account. The the land we went into is good. Here, look at the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. And we even saw giants there. Yes, the land is good. Yes, but. But the obstacles are great. 
what? That word but there means that they were focusing on the giants. And we do this, don't we? I know God says that you're supposed to get, forgive those who sin against you, but I don't think I can forgive that. I know God calls me to like not hide my faith, but to share it, but I'm not sure how people would respond. Not sure how they would treat me. God, I know that you called me to not bear my burdens alone, but to share my burdens. But, uh, but I'm afraid that if I go to a counselor or if I go and I share this with someone to seek help, that they might reject me. God, I feel this leading yeah, to, to maybe be involved in that ministry, but I don't know if I can do it. God, I know you said if I'm going to follow you, I'd be baptized, but I don't think I can stand up in front of people. But, if you, if, if you hear yourself saying but, like that's, that's the presence of fear. And so what we need to do is we need to flip the script, right? We need to flip the script. We need to turn it on itself. I don't know if I can forgive that, but God says, forgive those who sin against you. Now, I'm, in, I'm, I'm afraid of sitting in front of people, but I know God said be baptized. Now, I, I don't know how they're going to respond. I'm afraid that, you know, like it's going to change the relationship. But God says, let your light shine. Don't hide it. And we, we need to flip the script to focus on the size of God in whatever we face, not the size of the giants. And so the question I'm going to come back to a few times is, in your life, is there a but? Like one T. You know what I'm doing right there? Is there... Is there a but in your life? Is there a but that is getting in the way of God's blessing that comes through obedience, through following His leading? Is there a but that you need to get out of the way? You know, the, the, these, ten, these ten spies, they were focused on what they saw, the giants, and they said, how can we do this? And the other two, Caleb and Joshua, they were focused on, not, not on what they saw, but on what God said. And what God said, He will do this. He will do this. You know, to believe in God means to accept all that He says and act accordingly. So is there any fear you're facing, right? It's causing you to maybe stop or want to retreat in the way that God is leading you. The second, second key to battling fear here is to surround yourself with encouraging voices, not discouraging ones. Surround yourself with encouraging voices, not discouraging voices. You know, these ten, they, they, uh, they spoke discouragement to those around them. They were negative. In fact, the more they spoke, the more their negative grew, their negativity grew. Uh, chapter 31, uh, sorry, 13, verse 31, but the men who had gone up with them said, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites, a bad report among the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. Now it's not even a good land anymore. All the people we saw there are of great size. Well, that's not true. Like some of them were, like the Anakites, they, they're of great size. But now all the people that we saw there are of great size. And so as they fixated their focus on the giants, the giants got bigger and bigger and bigger. Right? Because they spoke negativity, discouragement. And that spread 
to the people. In fact, when Moses tells the story about this, after 40 years, after all those people died, and they're now at that same point again 40 years later, that's how the book of Deuteronomy, the next book, begins. And And Moses talks about this to those people, to their children. He says, In Deuteronomy 1 verse 26, you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us up out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers, let's take note of these words. Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger And taller than we are, the cities are large with walls up to the sky. There's even giants there. Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. And this is what we need to understand, you know, is both discouragement and courage are contagious. You you, you catch it from those around you. And so the Israelites, they caught fear. They caught discouragement because discouragement begets discouragement. And fear begets fear, and grumbling begets grumbling, and faith begets faith, and courage begets courage. Surround yourself with encouraging voices, not discouraging ones. And you know what? Have you noticed that there's a lot of discouraging voices out there? Especially now? Like, COVID has just brought out the worst in a lot of us. Probably all of us. It's... it's, it's, it's a good testing for what's in our heart and our mind. Man, COVID, this, this season has brought pressure. There's lots of voices out there, whether it's the news, whether it's social media, the stuff you hear and see. Maybe it's, maybe it's the stuff that those around you, friends, colleagues, whatever, family members say. How is it affecting you? How are all those voices affecting you? Is it feeling fear, discouragement, or is it feeling faith, courage, How can you surround yourselves with voices that encourage, that fuel your faith, that help you to focus on God? That's what it means to encourage one another. To encourage one another means to point each other to the size of God, away from the size of the giants to the size of God. That's encouragement. How can you surround yourself with that? I I mean, I'm asking myself this. I'm not not super great at this myself. You know, like, I, I, I sometimes think too highly of myself doesn't affect me. Yeah, the news, Facebook, doesn't affect me. I'm very objective. Uh, it affects, I realize, it affects me more than I might want to admit. It increases my stress, my fear, my negativity. I get up in the morning and I take my iPhone, read the news, go on Facebook. Discouragement. What I ought to be doing is just setting to that to the side and taking my Bible and spending time there and seeking out and surrounding myself with voices that fuel faith, voices that speak encouragement. And that's what we're to be to one another, right? The author of Hebrews says, Hebrews 3 verse 13, when it's talking about this story, he says, encourage one another daily so that your hearts don't turn away from God. Encourage one another daily. We need it daily. So surround yourself with encouraging voices, not discouraging ones. What what does that look like in your life right now? I guess the third insight that I want to take from the story as we battle fear is this. We need to be those who recall the past instead of presuming the future. We need to be really good at recalling the past instead of assuming, presuming the future. 
Because these 10 spies in the Israelites, they thought they knew exactly what was going to happen. Yep. Look at chapter 14, verse 3. The people say, why is the Lord bringing us out or bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Well, nobody had fallen by the sword. They just assumed, when we do this, we're all going to die. They presumed the future, that it was going to be bad. And this is what fear does. It tells us the future is going to be bad. You you ought not to follow God's leading. You ought not to obey because you might get hurt. Our mind, like we do this, right? Our mind likes to run ahead with all the what ifs. Man, if I, I know God, you said this, but what, like, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this happens? We, we shouldn't be doing the what ifs. I mean, we, we should be thinking, what has? What has God done? If you go on in chapter 14, verse 22, the, one of the reasons God is upset with them, he says, as, Weren't these the same people that went through the Red Sea? Weren't these the same people that ate the manna that I gave miraculously in the wilderness? Weren't these the same people that drank water from the rock? Haven't I provided every step of the way? And now they get here and they want to turn back? They were forgetting the incredible things that God had done. And that's what fear causes us to do. It causes us to forget the past. What God had done. You know, so when you're afraid, you really need to remember what God has already done for you. Like I have, I've tried to train myself to do this. I have three or four go-to stories in my life. When I look back, I go, God was there. No doubt about it. God's presence was there. God's perfect provision was there. He worked a miracle in my life there. No denying it. And so when I face something that scares me and I want to stop and retreat, I'm trying to train my... But remember, Rusty, remember back when you needed to sell that house in Blind River? You had to buy it and sell it. Do you remember what happened? Do you remember how you got Cooper the dog? That's a cool story. Do you remember how that happened? Do you remember that time when you were in Neverville and you lost your job and then that thing happened? Do you remember, Rusty? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, God is with me. God is for me. God has always provided. Why am I afraid? Why do I think He might stop now? So, I don't know. Do you have any of those in your life? Do you have any go-tos? You all need a go-to. Some some experience of God in your life that you can revisit that might encourage you to move forward in God's leading in faith. What's your go-to? What is that in your life? You know, fear expects a bad future, but, but these two, Jacob, or sorry, uh, Joshua and Caleb, they had positive expectations. They said, we can certainly do this, which isn't positive thinking. Hey, the Bible's not into positive thinking. Okay, like, hey, just have the right attitude. It'll all work out. Now, the Bible doesn't teach that. That's not what it is. It's not we can do this. It's God can do this because God has promised. God has promised. God is with us and God is for us. And He has said. God has said. Not positive thinking. It's God has said. You know, the only battle... The only battle that you don't win as a Christian is the battle that you don't fight. 
It's a battle that you don't fight. And it's a shame. It's a shame they didn't go in. They didn't experience the blessing of God in this situation. And they actually got the very thing they feared, right? Which is to perish in the wilderness. And it's a shame they didn't go in because had they gone into the land, they would have found something very different than they expected when they presumed the future. In fact, when the Israelites did end up going in 40 years later, again, they sent in spies. And this is what it says in Joshua chapter 2, verses 8, when Joshua now sent in some spies again to scout the land. The spies came into this powerful city of Jericho, this walled city. And the spies encountered a member of the city, and that person said to them, uh, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are, say it with me, melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Isn't that crazy? Like the enemies believed in God, but the people of God didn't believe in God. The enemies were afraid of God. The people's hearts melted in fear. What they didn't know is the giants were melting in fear in the face of God. Everything you face, every giant you face is afraid of your God. So back to that question. Is there a but... Facing the pressure of fear, is there a but that is getting in the way of God's blessing in your life, that is causing you to not move forward in the command and in the leading of God in some way, that's causing you to stop, maybe causing you to shrink back and retreat? Caleb had a different spirit. Numbers 14, 24, it says, but Caleb had a different spirit than the others. And you know what? If you're a Christian, you have a different spirit too. Back to those words Darren read in Romans chapter 8. We do not have a spirit that makes us slaves to fear, but we have a spirit that brought about our adoption to sonship by whom we cry, Father, Abba, Daddy. To all who believed in Jesus' name, God gave the right to become His children. If you trust in Jesus. You have a different spirit. You have a different spirit. You know that land that they eventually got into? It was a good land, but they did not find true full rest in that land. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, when the author of Hebrews in the New Testament is talking about this story, he says, if Joshua had actually led them into to a place of true rest, would God have said that there was another day Another day coming in which His people would find true rest, Sabbath rest. And that day came with Jesus. Rest, freedom from fear is not found in a place to live, circumstances to habit. It's found in a person to know, the person of Jesus. It's Jesus who said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, say it, rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. All of you who are afraid, come to me. Lay it down. 
find true rest. So is there something right now in life you're facing, a burden, a fear that you need to lay down this morning? Is there a but in your life that you need to like move to the side, a but that might just be keeping you from God's abundance in your life, from His blessing, a blessing that comes only when we walk in obedience to His Word, to His leading Think on that. Is there any but that you need to get out of the way? You know, you can't choose your trials, but you can choose to trust God. And you can't choose your obstacles in life normally, but you can choose to obey. And so I want to just put this prayer up on the screen. This is a prayer that Erica shared with me. It was in uh, one of her devotional readings this week. And I thought, yep, this really is the prayer we need to pray this morning. And so... As you're, as you're just reflecting on that question I put to you, is there any fear that you're facing right now that's maybe causing you to stop or maybe to retreat in God's leading in your life, to not move forward in, in, in His commands? Um, I just invite you to kind of re- to, to think on that thing and then to pray this prayer. I'll give you a minute to do that just in your own heart between you and God. I invite you to pray this prayer and uh, trust Him anew. Father, how quickly we forget to trust You. We engage our faith once again. We'll obey today. We'll seek you today, for your ways are always good. And together we say, amen.